Good morning again. <laughs> My name is Cheryl Hemp and I am a member of this congregation. I'd like to welcome you to the First Universalist Unitarian Church of Wausau. I want to extend a special welcome to everyone joining us here and online this morning and also a very special welcome to the Reverend Susan Wasilchik. Suzanne. She prefers Suzanne, um, who is going to be ministering to our congregation for the next couple of months while Reverend Mason is on sabbatical. So we welcome her especially. Since 1858, UU has served as a vital voice for liberal religion in central Wisconsin. We are an intentionally free society that welcomes all people just as you are, regardless of age, sexual orientation, ethnicity, or economic situation. Wherever you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. We are currently worshiping both in person and online, so be sure to subscribe to the church's newsletter, follow us on Facebook or Instagram for updates. And at this point in time, I'd like to just remind everyone that this is our potluck upstairs after church. We usually do it on the first Sunday, but of course that was New Year's Day, so we are having it today upstairs after church. And feel free to join us even if you weren't able to bring something we always have in the UU tradition more than enough food, so please join us there. Um, and at this point in time, Carl Drake would, has an announcement to make. Thank you, everyone. <clears throat> I'm back. <laughs> we are going to lighten your wallets. No, you know that I work with the uh, stewardship group and I just wanted to take a moment to remind you of the importance of supporting the church. So we all join the church for, for various reasons. Um, you know, I think I joined the church to help restore my spiritual and intellectual sanity. Um, it also has an incredibly great potluck brunch. That's another really important thing to me. And, and, you know, maybe the third reason would be uh, it, it's really fun to spend time with people that are so much smarter than I am. That would be you. <laughs> um, so, but taking advantage of these privileges comes with a cost. We incur a financial obligation when we become a member of the church. Uh, to date, we've raised about half of the amount that we need in pledges for this year. Um, which means the church can stay open comfortably through the end of June. Um, so we need you all to step up and take your responsibilities seriously so that we can go for another full year. So thanks very much uh, for allowing me to lighten your wallets. Thank you, Carl. And along with... Um those announcements, I draw your attention to the yellow insert um, in your worship uh, call order of worship for other church announcements. And with that, let us gather our hearts and minds for worship. Please join me in reciting the church's chalice lighting. You will find the words printed in the order of service. We light this chalice for the light of truth the warmth of love, and the fire of commitment. We light this symbol of our faith as we gather together. Excuse me, we're using a multitude of microphones. I'm, it's a, a much more elaborate system than, than I'm used to. Uh, so we gather this morning 
on the ancestral home of indigenous peoples. I, I don't live in this area. I live in Duluth, Minnesota. But I, I believe these lands were and are the home of the Menominee and the Potawatomi peoples and near the Ho-Chunk nation of the Winnebago. So we are reminded now of our obligation to good stewardship of these lands and right relations with their inhabitants, past and present and to come. And so we gather here today in this peaceful, light-filled space. We give ourselves permission to fill these few moments with music, with poetry, with prayer and reflection, with emptying your wallets just a little bit. We gather and we share in our differences, remembering our common home. So come, let us worship, let us shape worth together. Our opening hymn is number 347, Gather the Spirit. And if you would rise in body or spirit as you are able. standing for our affirmation, which is found in your order of service, and join with me. Love is the doctrine of this church, the quest of truth, it's its sacrament, and service is its prayer. To dwell together in peace, to seek knowledge in freedom, to serve human need, to the end that all souls shall grow into harmony with the divine, thus do we covenant with each other. And join in singing with me the doxology. <clears throat> 
This morning, I'm going to share with you the story of the Water Bearer's Garden. Once upon a time, in a place not too far, but yet far away from here, there was a water bearer. And a water bearer is someone who takes water from the stream or river to a house that can be used for cook cooking and cleaning. The water bearer, bearer had two special large pots, each hung at the end of a long pole that he carried across his neck. One of the pots had a crack in it, much like the one on your screen. And at the end of a long walk from the stream, the crack pot only delivered half of the water it was supposed to, while the other pot was perfect and always delivered a full portion of water. For two years, this went on daily, with the water bearer delivering only one and a half pots full of water. Of course, the perfect pot was very proud of its accomplishments, perfect to the end for which it was made. But the poor cracked pot was ashamed of its own imperfection, miserable that it was not able to accomplish even half of what it had been made to do. After two years of what it perceived as bitter failure, it spoke, remember this is a special pot, to the water bearer and one day by the stream said, I'm so ashamed of myself and I want to apologize to you. Why, asked the water bearer, bearer what are you ashamed of? I haven't been able for these past two years to deliver my full load. I only deliver half because of the crack in my side and water leaks out the whole way back to the house. Because of my flaws, you must do all this work and you don't get full value from your efforts. The water bearer felt sorry for the crack pot and his compassion said, as we, turn to the, as we return to the house, I want you to notice the beautiful flowers along the path. Indeed, as they went up the hill, the old crack pot took notice of the sun warming the beautiful wildflowers on the side of the path. And this cheered it some, but at the end of the trail, it still felt sad because it had leaked out half of its load. And so again, the pot apologized to the bearer for its failure. The bearer said to the pot, did you notice that the flowers were only on your side of the path, but not the other path's, pot's path? That's because I've always known about your flaw and I took advantage of it. I planted flowers on your side of the path and every day while we walk back, you water them. For two years, I've been able to fill my table with beautiful flowers. Without you being just the way you are, we could not have this beauty to grace this house. We all have our imperfections and we're all cracked pots. Don't be afraid of your imperfections. Instead, acknowledge them. Embrace the good enough, and you too can be the cause of beauty. And that is our story for today. Please join me in blessing our children and youth off to their RE groups this morning with May Peace Surround You. The words are printed in your order of worship. ministry of UUASA is made possible by the generous support of its friends and members. Rather than pass a plate at this time, we've placed an offering basket in the back of the sanctuary for you to drop a gift in. You can also stop by our website, uuwasa.org, to make a one-time or recurring gift with your credit or debit card. Thank you for your support.
The Canadian singer-songwriter Leonard Cohen writes and sings, the birds they sang at the break of day, start again, I heard them say. Don't dwell on what has passed away or, or what is yet to be. Ah, the wars, they will be fought again. The holy dove, she will be caught again, bought and sold and bought again. The dove is never free. And yet, ring the bells that still can ring. Forget your perfect offering. There is a crack, a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. That's how the water got out. I invite you to open your teal hymnals to number 1031, filled with loving kindness, if you'd remain seated. My first reading is by Thomas Traherne. He was an English poet and religious writer in the mid-17th century. And Traherne writes, your enjoyment of the world is never right till every morning you wake in heaven, see yourself in your father's palace and look upon the skies, the earth and the air as celestial joys having such a reverend esteem of all as if you were among the angels. Thomas Traherne.
My second reading is from Diane Ackerman. She writes a wonderful book called A Natural History of the Senses. And she writes, the great affair, the love affair with life is to live as variously as possible, to groom one's curiosity like a high-spirited thoroughbred, climb aboard and gallop over the thick, sunstruck hills every day. It began as mystery, and it will end in mystery. But what a savage and beautiful country lies in between. Sometimes it's hard to remember all that beauty, all that wonder, all that, that love affair with life. Um, Today is January 8th. It's my middle brother's birthday. He just retired. Happy birthday, John. It's two days after the Epiphany, the Christian Epiphany, the uh, day traditionally known as uh, the day that the wise men, I, I brought a little uh, uh, metal sculpture of the three wise men bringing Jesus the gifts, frankincense and gold and myrrh. Now, I'm told that the three wise women, when they visited, brought some, some um, food, some soup, and some bread, and some warm blankets. But the wise men did visit. And of course, it's the second anniversary of the storming of our capital, the questioning of our democratic process. So we begin this, this new year with, with all of these, these mixed emotions. And, and some of us, I don't know if it's many of us, uh, may make resolutions. We try to keep them. We may have already broken them. Um, and we might think about being better. We might think about cultivating the virtue. Uh, virtues like wisdom. We'll, we'll read a really good book every week instead of that murder mystery we really want to read. And virtues like compassion. We'll regularly volunteer at some local agency. Virtues like uh, temperance. We'll stop being angry, stop using angry words. Some days that's harder than others. Um, we'll start, stop fuming over so very much. We'll start to practice prudence. We'll go on a diet. We'll exercise every day. And this is all good and righteous and fine stuff. But more than a little daunting, um, this life of virtue demands that we be all that we can be. Uh, a, uh, a slogan of the army, I believe. Is it, Deb? Be all that you can be. <sighs> and so we can keep learning and learning. We, we Unitarian Universalists do keep learning and learning so we can ultimately arrive at wisdom. Keep doing and doing. We keep doing and doing and so we can ultimately arrive at excellence. It's, it was one of the old jokes in, in the Unitarian joke book, uh, the reason why we didn't have services during the, the uh, summer months was because many of us were working on our masters or PhDs. Um, yeah, we, we embrace all these virtues. We, we think, we, we realize that the, the uh, to realize the good life and, and, and personal perfection. And um, when I wrote that, I was reminded of an acquaintance, a Unitarian Universalist, who um, attended Antioch College, a wonderful little liberal arts college, um, and its first president was Horace Mann back in the, in the 1840s, I think. And he wrote, be ashamed to die until you have won some victory for humanity. Holy buckets, that's a tall order. <laughs> be ashamed to die. And I, I do know one um, son of, of, a, of a very good friend who was raised in a Presbyterian family, and that is really how they lived their lives. I, I mean, my, my friend was a little ashamed that she was the only one in the family to not have a PhD. Her mother-in-law, her father-in-law, her husband. And, and truly, 
truly, PhDs are for some people. I am married to a lovely PhD. Um, but on the other hand, I was raised Catholic. I was raised Polish Catholic. And, and one of the things I enjoyed most um, as a child were those processions, the smells and bells. I now identify myself as a smells and bells Unitarian. The, the, the processions, the candles, the, 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 the imagery and the symbolism, the uh, uh, saying that we were doing something serious, honoring, uh, we may have been honoring um, people that I, I no longer hold quite as sacred as some of my Catholic friends. And I realized that when I went through Europe, um, what I enjoyed most were the many holidays that we uh, ran into. It, it, was, it was a bummer if you had to cash some, some uh, uh, traveler's checks because everything was closed. But, but there were processions and, and people dressed up and flowers and lights. Um, and, and I realized, as a Polish Catholic, I think I, I maybe was, was raised a little more laissez-faire about the, the work ethic. Of course, my father was a hard worker. He's a machinist. My brothers are hard workers. Um, but uh, the, the striving after accomplishment and success, um, to be ashamed until you had won some victory for humanity, um, and, and in my head, that, that ran as, uh, rang as a fairly Puritan statement. It was simple, it was strict, it was austere, it was the reason why if we were in a Puritan church there wouldn't be all of these lovely stained glass windows and decorations and celebration of Christmas. Um, so today I, I'm going to talk about that, that um, idea of strictness and about the flip side, about doing nothing and doing nothing and enjoying it. Now, I, I was aided in my thoughts of, uh, for this, this reflection, and I always talk about these as reflections. They are not sermons. You're not supposed to follow what I do or how I do it. Oh, heaven help you if you do. Um, but uh, so there are reflections on, on my ideas about uh, this book called Seven Sins for a Life Worth Living. Okay, seven sins. So what is the sin that Housden talks about? Now sin in the Catholic sense is according to Thomas Aquinas, nothing else than a morally bad act, an act that is not in accord with reason informed by divine law. Oh, okay, and, and divine law has, has revealed itself in different ways over the centuries, millennia. For Puritans, sin seemed to be whatever gave delight or pleasure or excitement or bodily gratification to the participants. Uh, one quote about the Puritans comes from Thomas Macaulay. He's an early 19th century British poet, and he writes, the Puritan hated bear baiting, not because it gave pain to the bear, but because it gave pleasure to the spectators. And there is a quote from H.L. Mencken, the early 20th century American journalist and satirist, who, who defines Puritanism as the haunting fear that someone somewhere may be happy. <laughs> oh, dear, dear, dear. Yeah, so plain in dress, plain in speech, plain in life. Now, Catholics and Puritans agree somewhat on the nature of sin, the traditional litmus test for sin according to the Catholic Church. I believe I got this when I graduated from eighth grade in, in I just went through Catholic grade school. Did you take pleasure in it? Yeah. If you stole that candy and felt terribly guilty, then it was maybe just a venial sin, but if you liked it, liked the feeling, oh dear, you were in trouble. So Housden couches his sins in the language of happiness and pleasure. Sins that we commit for a life worth living. And one of those sins is the pleasure of not knowing, um, of 
recognizing that we don't know everything. Now, I, I knew a man back in, in Montana, at also at a Unitarian congregation, um, and he always seemed to be up on the latest theory. Oh my goodness, this man could debate you about everything and tell you exactly why you were wrong. And he definitely kept up with the latest news, the, the local news, the uh, national news, the international news, and, and he's an exceedingly bright guy, um, a veritable fountain of um, information. But his wife once shared a story with me. Now, back in 1971, Nikita Khrushchev died, and somehow John had not heard the news, and he was absolutely mortified when somebody brought it up. And, he, and to this day, he is relentless, he is religious about his efforts to keep up with all of the nuances, the very latest of the world's news. Now, I know a number of folks like John, sometimes they specialize in a particular body of knowledge, um, or British history or genetics. I, I mean, we have that joke in my family um, about the, the generalist, the, the PhD, who knows more and more about less and less until he knows everything about nothing. And, and the generalist like me, who knows a little about everything, so it's until she, yeah, she almost knows nothing about everything. Um, or realizes she knows nothing about everything. But there are some people who want to know it all, and that, that is fine. But, but there is a pleasure in not knowing. We, we discovered this during COVID. Sometimes there is a pleasure in turning off the news, giving yourself a break for a while. The recognition that though a body of knowledge is huge and ever-expanding, um, we individually or as a community can never know everything. And Houston writes, the pleasure of not fully knowing where you are going or why doesn't mean that you merely drift through life like a leaf in the wind. The fact that we can never see the whole picture doesn't mean we don't bother to form any personal intention. The, the fact that we can never see the whole picture acknowledges that our intention is best served by an open, attentive mind, one that is receptive and cooperative to larger forces of life around it, whatever those larger forces may be. Now, um, the other joke about Unitarians is, is, is you know, we can be so open and, and, and receptive to everything that our brains start trickling out. Um, I, I mean, I, I once heard, I, sometimes our teenagers have to be remi reminded that although we are open and accepting and always learning new things, it doesn't mean that you can believe everything. It does not believe that. No, you still have that reason and heart and putting it all together. So the life, while it is a mystery, it is a mystery. It's not just an agenda. Uh, a mystery that is constantly revealing itself and of which we are a part. Instead of the agenda we so laboriously try to work through. And now, I'm good at agendas and lists as, as anybody. I have been known to sit in that pew there and, and listen to the minister and write what I'm supposed to be doing during the week because it's just this nice, quiet time to sit. It is. It's a quiet time to sit. It's one of the reasons we, we come here. And, and there's just too much to know. We can never know everything, and that's okay. In fact, we can take not mortification, not shame from the fact of that not knowing. We can take pleasure in it. We can practice humility with not knowing. Not knowing provides a, a platform for holy curiosity, for actually finding out where, what that really conservative neighbor thinks about how the world operates. An opening for new information, an opening for revelation, and may, maybe some wisdom. So Diane Ackerman tells us the great affair, the love affair with life is to live as variously as possible to groom one's curiosity like a high-spirited thoroughbred, climb aboard and gallop over the thick, sun-struck hills every day. It began as mystery, and it will end in mystery. But what a savage and beautiful country lies in between. 
And some days we need to remind ourselves of that. What a beautiful country and life it is. So that first pleasure of not knowing everything. So a second pleasure, not being perfect. We are not all supermodels. At 5'1", I am not going to be in my weight, which is a total secret. I am not going to be a supermodel or a theoretical physicist. I am not, or a brain surgeon, um, or a thoroughly enlightened guru, as much as I would love to be. A bodhisattva, maybe somebody who comes back and helps other people. A wise woman, eh, there are moments. But few of us are perfect in body or mind or spirit. Uh, I suspect that none of us were th was the absolutely perfect child. I tried to be a perfect child, which meant I was a total mystery to my mother, um, who, who didn't understand how I operated, why op I operated the way I did. Uh, none of us is or was or will be a perfect parent. But we humans can and do imagine a more perfect self a more perfect union, a more perfect self that wins the game, that paints the masterpiece, that discovers the cure, that wins that victory for humanity. And some of us get there. The desire for self-improvement will not go away. Um, uh, you can tell by going into any bookstore and seeing the whole, uh, whole sections of self-help books. Uh, the desire to be perfect, to match some sort of ideal self, persists. But on the pleasure of not being perfect, Housden writes, whatever technical wizardry we have at our disposal, however sophisticated our spiritual practices, we shall never get to the bottom of who we are, never uncover all our fault lines and layers of subtle unrest, that is their beauty and our beauty. We will always be just beyond our own grasp. There's great pleasure in accepting that we are fine just as we are, cracks and all. You might be putting some putty here and there to make what you feel is fixable, fixable. But in essence, we are good enough, good enough, it's one of the things we learned in seminary. Oh, Suzanne, not everybody will like this sermon. Some people will be shaking their head, and some people will be sleeping in the pews, and some people will be glaring at you, but it will be good enough. And some people will come back with just a little glint of something they hadn't thought about. Not necessarily from me, maybe from Housden. Maybe from that, uh, that water bearer. We're not perfect, we'll never be perfect, but we are wonderful, ordinary, imperfect. It's the very definition of being a human being. Wonderful. Um, to share a little bit of my theology, um, I, I have some science background, and we started with that Big Bang. I, we started with, however you speak of that Big Bang, the great radiance, the, the wonderful, amazing beginning when we had all this light and power going out and making everything that we see, including us. So my dears, my darlings, dear hearts, we are power and light and energy. And those cracks in us, let the energy, let our light, um, uh, let the light both come in and light let our light go out to others. There's a crack. As Leonard Cohen writes, the birds they sang at the break of day start again, I heard them say. Don't dwell on what has passed away or what is yet to be. Ring the bells that still can ring. Ring them in the Ukraine, ring them in all the other war-torn places of this world. Ring them in our hearts. Forget your perfect offering. There is a crack, a crack in everything. That is how the light gets in. That is how our light gets out. So that's the good news. That's our own little, my own little universalist Unitarian gospel. We are good enough. The good news is we're not perfect. 
there's a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. And the third sin, third pleasure, that makes life worth living every once in a while is doing nothing useful. Some days I think I could probably do a PhD in that, um, but sometimes I am fairly useful. A lovely little poem by Meredith Holmes in praise of my bed. At last, I can be with you. The grinding hours since I left your side, the labor of being fully human, working my opposable thumb, talking and walking upright, and now I have unclasped, unzipped, step out of, husked soft, a beer only, a beer, not a doer. I do nothing but point my bare feet into your clean smoothness, feel your quiet strength the whole length of my body. I close my eyes, hear myself moan, so grateful to be held this way. In praise of my bed, all of those of you of my age who have discovered the afternoon nap, ah, uh, whether you're a toddler or, or 70 plus toddler age. Some of those days, there's nothing quite like that firm smoothness or the pleasure of a midday siesta. Uh, Tim and I took our honeymoon in Spain. What bliss. Yeah, we were lots younger then, but wow. Now, the Puritans may warn us that idle hands are the devil's workshop. And Roger Housden recommends taking regular and frequent breaks from our busy lives, lingering in a cafe with a latte or a hot tea, taking a leisurely stroll, sitting and watching the birds in our backyard. Um, We know there can be too much of a good thing during COVID. Some of us took a lot of time stretching out and doing nothing and waited for something to do. Waited, waited for that Sunday when Zoom would, we would connect by Zoom with our congregations. But minister and therapist Wayne Muller, in his book, Legacy of the Heart, tells us that that busyness, it talks about busyness and doing nothing. And he talks about brother David Steindlrast, who reminds us that the Chinese word for busy is composed of two characters, heart and killing. Too busy, too busy, our medical professionals tell us, is heart killing. (sighs) Even in sports like football, we saw that the other Sunday. Too busy, too intense. When we make ourselves so busy that we are always rushing around trying to get this or that done or over with, We kill something vital in ourselves, and we smother the quiet wisdom of our hearts. Um, I was talking with some folks about Christmas and how delighted I was to see that the Christmas decorations were still up and nobody was was, um, uh, so eager to take them down, whether that is is somebody thought, oh, we were just lazy, or we just want to celebrate longer. Um, you know, my Christmas cards, I feel that they, all of my letter writing is, is well done if it comes, um, well, there's, there's, of course, there's Chris, Christian Christmas, there is Orthodox Christmas that started yesterday, there'll be Chinese New Year, and if everything, all that writing gets done before Valentine's Day, I'm doing pretty well. But when we infest our work with judgment and impatience, always striving for speed and efficiency, we lose that capacity to appreciate the million quiet moments that bring us peace, beauty, or joy. I think sometimes that's why these uh, sermons, reflections can be uh, rather disjointed. My desk uh, is right outside of a bird feeder um, where starlings and chickadees and uh, the occasional woodpecker is and Lake uh, Superior is right across the street. So Steindl-Rast concludes, as we seek salvation through our frantic productivity and accomplishments, 
we squander the teachings that may be present in this very moment, in the richness of this particular breath. In the book of Ecclesiastes, there is a proverb, better one hand full of quiet than two hands striving after wind. And Muller writes, unpracticed in the art of quiet, we hope to find our safety, our belonging, and our healing by increasing our levels of accomplishment. But sometimes our frantic busyness actually makes us deaf to what is healing and sacred, both in ourselves and in one another. So not only is there pleasure, there is healing and wholeness in doing nothing in the art of quiet, the art of loving kindness. And in the New Testament, the book of Luke, chapter 12, verse 25, Jesus tells his followers, consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin, but I tell you that not even Solomon in all his glory was clothed as one of these. And poet and Unitarian Universalist minister Lynn Unger thought about those lilies of the field, probably those were our characteristic white lilies, and she writes about the camas lily. The camas lily is a, a periwinkle blue flower that grows in profusion in moist meadows in Montana and British Columbia, two of the places that Tim and I have lived. And Unger writes, consider the lilies of the field, the blue banks of camas opening into acres of sky along the road, would the longing to lie down and be washed by that beauty abate? Would that longing abate if you knew their usefulness? How the natives ground their bulbs for flour, how the settlers' hogs uprooted them, grunting in gleeful oblivion as the flowers fell. And you, what of your rushed and useful life? Imagine setting it all down, papers, plans, appointments, everything, leaving only a note, going to the fields to be lovely. Be back when I'm through with blooming. Even now, unneeded and uneaten, the camas lilies gaze out above the grass from their tender blue eyes. Even in sleep, your life will shine. And make no, no mistake, of course, your work will always matter. Yet Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. To paraphrase Thomas Traherne, our enjoyment of the world is never right till every morning we wake in that heaven of camas flowers, see ourselves in the world's palace and look upon the skies, the earth, and the air as celestial joys, having such a reverend esteem of all as if we were among the angels. And my darlings, you are. You are the angels. You are among those folks striving to be angels, that light coming in, coming out. So we recognize we don't have to know everything. We can see our imperfections, and yet as we are so very often, we are good enough. We rest in the arms of Mother Earth, and make no mistake, of course, your work will matter. Yet taking time to enjoy the world also matters. So, happy Orthodox Christmas, happy wintering, ah, despite all that ice. Let us be gentle. Let us be gentle with each other, gentle with ourselves. We only ever do the best we can. Let us linger over cocoa or a glass of wine, admire our cracks, empty our minds, stretch out in our beds. Let us go into the fields and be lovely and come back when we're done with blooming.
May it be so. May we make it so. Blessed be and amen. And our final hymn is number six in the gray hymnal, Just as Long as I Have Breath. If you would rise in body or spirit as you are able, And so, may the love which overcomes all differences, which heals all wounds, which puts all fears to flight, ha ha, puts all, all fears to flight. The love which reconciles all who are separated, may that great love be in us and among us and work through us now and always. I invite you to sit and listen to the postlet. <laughs>